everybody welcome back to the collective we have another fantastic show for you today you don't know what to do with your hands travis <laughs> um, while we're trying to figure out what to do with our hands make sure you know what to do with your hands so hit the like button subscribe to the channel hit the notification bell do all that good stuff so you can get your email every time that we go live which is of course every day now if you have any thoughts or questions during the show by all means put them up in the comment section so we can engage them directly and go from there now this week's topic overall has been or is still hope and we're going to be talking about that in terms of a word's worth today that's where we're going to dive into do you know what i'm hoping what are you i'm hoping, hoping that uh, i get to watch travis try to figure out his uh, problems for a little while longer it's so much fun watching a highly capable guy struggle with a computer it is <laughs> awesome do you do you not have any audio travis he's got <laughs> We'll have to uh, try and sort him out in a second. Uh, so any thoughts or um, issues beforehand before we get into the conversation? Everybody's good? Okay, let's dive into it. So a word's worth. Now, <clears throat> I went on to chat GPT here a second ago, not a second ago, a little while ago, and I kind of did some thought on this. And I wanted to come come with you guys because there's no real definition I can give on this. And this is what it comes up with. A word's worth is not a standard or widely recognized term in the English language. It does not have a specific or established meaning in everyday use or within any particular field or industry. However, it's possible that a word's worth could be interpreted in a few different ways depending on the context. And I really want to touch on this because I think it's important. Value of a word in a literal sense could refer to the value or significance of a single word in a particular context. Or you can look at it from liter literary poetic interpretation in that the worth or significance of a word can be metaphorical or an artistic concept and it goes further and further and further and further so we'll go into that in a second but I want to get your guys thoughts on it first James I'm gonna put you up what are your first thoughts on a word's worth well firstly it's not 500 words to describe the fact that you don't know what a word's worth means like AI would say <laughs> <laughs> therein lies the problem um, I think a word's worth is such a powerful term when you think about where we are today, where we have become these monkey-minded, seven seconds of content distracted um, species that we are at the moment. I have found myself circling around to the simplicity of communication that has lasted for thousands of years. So for me, when I read an amazing piece of writing or I hear a podcast or a story and it's the words that you're listening to these things that we created to connect one human being with another um, I think that's what a word's worth is something that has literally carried on wisdom for thousands and thousands of years so that would be my kind of opening statement interesting Travis what are your thoughts on a word's worth I kind of missed a little bit of the uh, of the initial. I had some audio, some audio problems, but um, a word's worth. I mean, sometimes a word is all it takes, you know, to get things started. Sometimes a word is all it takes to to end things. You know, um, it's obviously the way most of us communicate. Um, there's other means, but uh, um, you know, in our day to day activity, I think we probably all take for granted. You know our ability to use words uh i'm in college right now and a lot of the like my upbringing was military and we were very 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 much about writing clear decisive concise short statements about things and now in college they want you to embellish everything you write about and drag it out into 20 pages and i'm finding it very difficult to accomplish that and uh, not be so decisive in my writings but uh you know Definitely, definitely something that you should uh, maybe put a little thought into before you speak. Absolutely. Sean, thoughts? Yeah, I like words. Words are good. Words are fun. Words are powerful. Words, uh, as has been said, words can start action. Words can finish action. And uh, the interesting thing that uh, came to my mind about uh, just listening to the two guests was um, words have... Uh, worth and that worth displays your value to some degree 
Now, you don't have to say a word and you can walk into a room and you can have value. But the moment that you open your mouth and start putting out those words, it reflects on you. It's a representation of who you are. And if, if you're talking like a fool, your value just went down. So a word has worth that directly impacts your value as a person in that moment. And uh, so, you know, one of the earliest podcasts I went on was James' uh, uh, podcast. Uh, and, um, you know, I was, I was trying to be careful with my words. I was trying to, like, speak thoughtfully and... And I kind of didn't do a great job, I felt. So James did uh, me the privilege of letting me redo that uh, podcast again. And I'm still not happy with it. But that's the thing about words, man. You know, I, I, at that time, I was just speaking and maybe not crafting my words well enough, maybe not thinking about the moment, not really understanding the weight of the circumstance. So that was actually a catalyst for me to start taking the craft of speaking more seriously so that my words have worth that add to my value as a person either within my own mind or for others. Got anything to add there, James? Look like you do. Yeah, well, I want to jump into what Travis said. When you think about that, you take a concise, articulate, thought process and then you're told to elaborate and expand so it fits a certain word count that's one of the problems i think that we have today because how many people do we hear in whatever leadership position that they might be in that can talk for an hour and say absolutely nothing so you know it's interesting sometimes that concise format that you're needed in the military or first responders over radio for example not that you're going to be talking in codes and be that acute but the efficiency of words i think is also amazing you look some of the the most amazing writers like sebastian junger tribe is that thick i think it's 130 pages or something one of the most powerful books that i've ever read in my life so i think words sometimes are being diluted more and more and more and therefore the actual message within them sometimes gets lost see politics for example where there was never a message and it was words just to distract so i think uh, articulate concise words can be an incredibly powerful tool absolutely that's interesting the uh travis you got anything to add into that i agree i mean they're definitely definitely powerful um kind of tying it back to a previous you know to the coaching thing you know and uh in athletics we always tried to break things down to one word cues, you know, just that one word to re to reignite your focus on one position or, you know, um, kind of one action of skills development or things like elbows or drive or whatever your keyword might be. And honestly, the word doesn't matter as long as the word is the catalyst to that action that you want to take place, you know. So in coaching, you know, getting back to concise, clear messages and stuff is definitely a uh, you know, something to strive for. And uh, you are right, James, it is it is difficult to elaborate on things where you already have kind of a, a frame of a frame of thought process going and you're like, the five W's, you know, who, what, when, where, why, you know, boom. And they're like, well, can you explain a little more? And you're like, I mean, we're four. It's all right there. Yeah, it is. And, and uh, I, I think this is a fun uh, conversation because um, it, it, we are taught to be direct, concise, and to the point. We are taught to execute in a rapid fashion and create uh, results in a rapid fashion. However, a lot of the world doesn't work like that. Uh, and so, um, you know, I'd like to just be able to communicate in uh, monosyllabic. Uh, I'd just like to say one word and have my entire day unfold. But it doesn't work like that out in the big world. And so I kind of like the fact that though I don't enjoy it, most of the time, I kind of like the fact that I'm sort of obligated to become verbose or increase my uh, wordsmithing footprint, as it were, because in, in that playful sort of circus of adding too many words, it teaches me how to add some words, pull out others, and maybe change my speech patterns up a little bit so that I can communicate with a, a broader demographic. And, uh, you know, if, if, um, 
If I'm talking with someone from back in the day, the conversations don't last too long, but we're saying a life, lifetime's worth of, uh, of um, words in that moment. Uh, but with others who don't know me or don't know us or don't know that life, um, it requires some verbosity. And uh, if you throw out enough words in there, eventually it's like throwing that, uh, the uh, spaghetti at the wall, eventually something sticks. Now, I don't like playing that game all the time, but uh, that game, as I call it, is something that has to be done from time to time. And then it's my job to gamify it into something that I enjoy rather than hate on. So if someone's challenging me to be, enhance your verbosity, become more verbose, it's gonna irritate me, but I'll gamify it. I'll try to take it on as a personal challenge with, I won't call it growth mindset because I'm irritated, but uh, I'll give it a go just because I know that it may be helpful for someone in the future. Yeah, 100%. The, uh, it's, it's interesting the, where, where that line is between brevity and verbosity. Because if you say too little, it can be misinterpreted really easily, but if you say too much, it can also be misinterpreted very, really easily as well. So that's an interesting line. And I'm wondering the, in terms of like, as you, as we said earlier, this week is going to be about hope, but how do you think that we can get people to at least take the words that we're saying and utilize them? Because again, we've said it before, you know, uh, deeds, not words. And now we're talking about words and how, how much they're, how important they are and how much they're worth. So I'm wondering how do we get others to maybe interpret our words better? What do you guys think? James, I'm going to come to you first. Yeah. <laughs> you saw the, like the blank look there. So did I, I was hoping to be you. <laughs> Someone else. <laughs> um, so doing what I do now with the podcast and I'm, I'm my first book was kind of a nonfiction. My second one is fiction. So I'm diving into the world of description and words. I think the way that you get to the core of someone's soul that then hopefully would spur action is actually through story. So again, using words. So everyone here, obviously, they've got a story career. And when they go on podcasts, then you know people are listening so that they can hear their journey. I think that's how you do it. I mean, we've all sat through those um, kind of cheese ball life coach esque people that are shouting at you, and all you got to do is get up at four in the morning and have a glass of water, and then look at the sun, and then you know run a twelve k barefoot, and you know jump in an ice bath. But it doesn't connect with you. But when you hear someone whose story, I mean David Goggins, for example, we all know that he you know runs and shouts a lot. But really, for me, the power in his story is from where he was as a young man and the traumatic upbringing that he encountered through to the successful person he is now. That is the real meat of David Goggin's story. So for me, how action and words come together is through storytelling. And you look at every ancient, you know, tribal culture, there's a homecoming story kind of round the fire element. There's obviously drawing and you know, dances and all these other things. But ultimately, that I think is what spurs action. If you haven't got a, a human connection to a story that really leads you to a why, how can you expect someone to, to be inspired and act when you've just listed a bunch of vegetables that they need to be eating, for example, rather than let me tell you about how I got off all my meds and overcame heart disease through this diet. So that would be kind of my, my tie-in. I like that. Travis, what are your thoughts initially? Initially, it is, uh, I don't know if it's our responsibility to make the connection to others, right? Our initial, our initial purpose is to express ourselves. You know, if you're expressing yourself in through words in some way, whether you want them to follow that diet or, or you know, follow your training protocol or whatever, it's to just put the words out there and express it. And uh, you know, if you make the decision that you're needing to connect to someone, then you can tailor those words to try to make that connection. But initially, I'm not sure it's it's up to us to to make it. You know, maybe it's up to the followers or the other people to see it and then take hold of it and then ask us about it and then exchange words and communicate, you know, but, you know, going with the intent of making a connection to everyone. I mean, I think that's a little bit grand of a, of a endeavor, you know, um, trying to kind of niche yourself down and try to connect to certain people is probably a more uh, feasible 
course of action. Um, but again, I don't know if it's up to us to decide who who really listens and who doesn't. You know, it's up to them. Mm. Our our job is to express ourselves in a way that that gets their attention. I guess. Interesting, Sean. Got anything? Yeah, I was puzzling on uh, this very subject this morning, of course, when I knew uh, that it was going to be about a Wordsworth. And and I sat for five minutes with nothing in my hand, no books, no phones, no nothing. I just sat and thought about, huh, what would that mean to me? And what would that mean to others? And what will that mean to the panel? And what will that mean to future generations? So for five minutes, I considered it. And then uh, kind of like yourself, I started thinking, well, is it my responsibility to um, present my words worth or is it for others to interpret whether my words have worth? I'm not sure. And so as I thought about it more, I thought, how would I represent my confusion in this moment? How would I capture my, my non-clear understanding of what a word's worth is in respect to not just my life, but this social media platform that we all tend to communicate on. So I went and grabbed a book up here on my bookshelf. It's a book that I uh, put together myself from a six-week trip uh, to Vietnam, a family, a family trip uh, back in 2006. Our boys were about three-ish, four years old at that time. And um, at the start of the book, I have uh, three sort of columns of verbiage uh, to kind of introduce what we're doing as, as the idea of the family trip, the why of the matter, as it were. And um, and I took my time writing that. I mean, I freaking wrote a book about it, so I'm going to take my time to write with words that have worth. So that was, you know, back in 2006, I was a different person then. Uh, but as I read that stuff, I realized that I was really making an effort to write and at that moment along with the associated uh, images and etc. So I put that up on my Instagram stories this morning. Just I, I didn't attach any life lessons to it. I just took a photo and threw it up and thought, maybe I'll talk about that later today. Um, and so that represents to me my on the fence of whether our words are supposed to be put out there to help people or whether our words are just supposed to reflect who we are authentically and just see how the chips may fall as it were for anyone who uh, picks up what we're putting down and i'm still unsure i mean i try to be inspiring to a degree but i try to do it just through action i just try to be sean I try to push my pace, I try to do my thing, I say what I say, I think what I think, and if anyone picks up on that and, and likes it, then okay. But I'm still puzzled right to this very moment as to whether I need to dial that rotary dial up just a touch more to add a, a thin veneer of additional worth to the words that is called trying to actively inspire. I don't know, what do you guys think? James? Um, so I think, I mean, I agree completely with what everyone said. I think where I'm coming from is having had all the people on the show. It's more the connection between living, you know, you're doing what you do. You're not trying to actively inspire, but a lot of people and a good example, the people that have found their, well, their way out of a mental health crisis, they come out the other end and all of a sudden men, women in their community start coming out of the woodwork going, I'm going through it too. So they never actively went, I'm going to heal and then I'm going to be, you know, a mental health advocate. They just found themselves doing that. And then what it was is it was a connection. So I think that's it is that you, being authentic is 100% what we should be doing. None of us should be, I'm going to be an inspirational whatever. But there's a point where you maybe realize, wow, my story seems to positively affect others which is where i see some not all but some people in our communities then add a lot of value when they do start speaking and, and doing presentations and those kind of things but there is also a fine line between authenticity and narcissism and that's something that has to be navigated as well it's tricky i, I probably screwed it up a few times i don't know but it's not for lack of uh, thoughtfulness. I mean, I realize that there's a slippery slope and I don't have it figured out. I'm hoping you guys will help me today, though. <laughs> Travis, you got anything? 
I mean, I think James hit the nail on the head right there where it's being authentic, you know, and that connection that's important. And that, that's where you, that's where, that's where you, you make that connection, right? I mean, obviously like it's, it's people have are drawn to you because of that connection. And then in your authenticity kind of expounds on that and then pulls them in tighter, you know, like in our discussions about coaching and stuff, you're not, you know, we, we talked about finding a coach that's kind of like the right coach for you, you know, and having, you know, background and experience and wisdom and all those things that we talked about before, like that adds to your authenticity, you know, and when we, when we listen to politicians on the, on the telly talk, talking about how they're going to make everything great, you know, we, we can see that they're not authentic in their, in their words, their words are not true. They're just empty, you know, so they have no weight, they have no meaning, you know, so that authenticity is significant when it comes to uh, wordsmithing. Absolutely. It's a, uh, I do just want to throw this up real quick for anybody watching. By all means, if you guys got any comments or questions, put it up in the comment section. I would like to hear what your guys' thoughts are on a Wordsworth as well. Um, so this kind of leads into what I was thinking about misinterpreted responsibility in that you can spout a lot of words, especially on social media. Right. This is the the new realm that we're all kind of in, in that we can just throw words to the world and you can be authentic or you cannot be authentic. You can try to espouse authenticity without actually utilizing it. So I'm wondering where how do we find our own responsibility within that realm? How do we find our own not so much niche, but um, find the tribe within the tribe, if you know, if you guys know what I'm talking about. Does that make any sense or am I off base here? Sean? Well, in the spirit of things, I think what you're, what I'm hearing anyway, is uh, how do you connect with a group that uh, feels right for you based on what they're saying? Is that what yes. you're? Yes, that's right. where I was going with, yeah. Okay. Uh, so for me, um, whatever group I'm in is determined by the kind of cool people that I want to hang out with. And I use that term casually a lot. I like cool people, man. I like hanging out with cool people. But cool is is a simple word that uh, its worth only means, you know, happy days and Fonzie uh, cool uh, versus to me being cool is like it's got many layers and uh, it means many things to me. And so if someone's cool and if someone's really cool and if someone's mega cool, they all mean different things to me. So that word cool in and of itself has different worth based on the person in front of me. I seek people that are cool, whatever that means. And um, that typically entails them being authentic. And it doesn't mean that they have to be setting world records all the time or ever. They just got to be a cool person, authentically, uh, legit, real, in the moment, not fake in it, just cool. So um, I think if you're if you're just pursuing people that feel right to you, that's a good start. You can start diving deeper in that group as you find the group that just feels right. Words for me are less about the how to spell it. Words are more about the feel of it the vibe of it, the intention, the tone that I get from a person. Someone can say a sentence to me and someone can say that exact same sentence to me and those two people will have different meanings based on the vibe I pick up. And so to the point about uh, politics and how there's a lot of empty talk out there or the words don't have much worth, etc. Well, I don't have to hear them. Uh, I, I don't have to hear the precise words. I get the feeling from it. And so uh, someone can talk a good tale. They can write all the books. But if they don't feel right to me, then I don't care what they have to say. It's a, it's a vibe. It's whether I synchronize with them or not. That's what I would say, you know, in looking for a group, as it were. Interesting. Travis, I'm going to come to you next. What are your thoughts? I think if you're trying to find a group or find a tribe or something to the first thing, like the most important thing is first is to just listen, right? Give yourself time to, uh, to gather some data and, uh, keep listening, 
you know, probably beyond the point where you think it's time for you to make a comment. You should just listen a little bit longer and uh, try to keep keep figuring out what 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 is the uh, the authentic self like. What are these? What is this tribe about? Like, do they do their do their morals align with mine? You know, do their their does their motivation align with mine? Is this is this my tribe or not? You know, and you do that by listening and and uh, initially, you know. Once you've decided that there's uh, there's enough to uh, interject some of your words into the mix and then start to communicate, then uh, that's kind of a, a point in time you're going to have to decide on your own. But listening, I think, is a key component there. And I think uh, especially now with social media and and uh, so much of our existence online being uh, an attempt to get noticed, people are very apt to uh, to speak first and listen later when uh in real life, you should listen first and uh, maybe not speak at all. James? Well, firstly, just to underline what Travis just said, we have a screen split into four right now, but the difference is we're listening. How many news stations and sports stations do you have with us four people just talking on top of each other, arguing with each other and saying absolutely nothing? So just a little observation there. My kind of take on this as well is, is a, just coming, it's agreeing, but coming from a different angle. What I found doing the podcast with like 800 and God, 30 interviews now um, is if you're not careful, you can also choose a tribe by its veneer. And if you can actually find the commonalities with an individual who may be the opposite of where you think politically or, you know, not be into the same sports or, you know, support leads, so those kind of things. <laughs> um, you're you're looking at that pigeonhole, that label, whereas the commonality is coffee, you know, fitness, cycling, whatever. And so, I think this is a big skill for a lot of us is to find where you connect with that person. As you push out, it may be very superficial. I don't know if you've had this, but I find that boyfriends or husbands of my wife's friends. Just because my wife and her friend are friends doesn't mean that we're going to be friends. And there's a lot of times I've had conversations like, okay, I think, you know, there's not a lot for us to talk about there. And that's okay. That is okay. You start where the commonality is and you push out. So for me, it's amazing how many unique individuals I've really connected with on the show who at first glance, well, they're always over here or they're, they're a ballet dancer or a model or you know, not stuff that I would normally or an influencer on YouTube, not usually the person I would immediately pick out of a crowd and go, we're going to be friends. But then you start in the middle and you push out and then you realize that you do. So I would say to add to this, when everyone's tribe is going to look different and it's going to be very eclectic. And if you allow yourself to start in the middle and get out of your comfort zone with some of these people, you'll be amazed how different ways of thinking actually add to this kind of tapestry of friends that you have and that can be very valuable and therefore make you a lot less blinkered in the way you look at the world john thoughts yeah i like that uh, i like what both fellas said and i'd just like to add a touch more just to kind of stir the pot a little bit you know uh, i think that you should listen way more than talk but i think that there's a time when you have to talk of course and how long is that? Who knows? Depends on the group that you're in and how you feel about the moment. But the great thing about finally talking into a group that you've been pretty quiet for a while is now you get a feedback loop. Now you get a sense of uh, where you fit into the group even more for real. Because uh, what you say might synchronize with the group or it might not synchronize with the group the way that you thought it would. Now there's a great opportunity to recalibrate or redetermine why you're in the group or what, what you just said and how it was, um, how it was uh, understood by the group. Well, that's a good reflection point. It, I'm not saying that your very first words are going to be really, really wrong. What I'm saying is if you're quiet for quite a while and get a feel for things and then you start talking and you're getting some, not pushback, but a little bit of recalibration, that's not a point to panic. That's not a moment to get worried. That's a moment to be pretty pleased that you've got something to work on, to improve on, that the group is asking you to recalibrate on. There, there's 
there's a lot of power in silence, I think. And there's, uh, I wanted to talk about this a little bit in terms of, I've had some experiences where I've tried to talk to somebody and then stop to think about the words that I'm going to use next and then get rushed. Be like, well, the longer you're silent, the more I get worried kind of deal. And so I'm wondering what your guys, what your guys thoughts are on specifically how important that pause is or being able to manage within that silence because I think a lot of people out there don't know how to deal with that silence in that pause in that to stop and listen I don't know if many people know how to do that so I'm wondering what your guys thoughts are on the, the power of that silence in and of itself James what do you think always coming back to you bam this is my superpower here I don't know if you can tell it's all bleached out by that light a piece of paper and a pen. Obviously, we're not talking about normal conversation. The number of times that I'm listening, and I've hopefully become better at listening over seven years, and you just write down, I want to ask this thing, or I want to say this thing. The number of times that the person carries on, they pause, and then when they are done, they're like, oh, they actually did talk about that thing, and you, and you get rid of it, or they didn't, and you circle around. But for me... It's just simply allowing someone to finish their organic thought process. And that's where I think body language comes in. It's harder to do that over the phone, for example. But if, you know, if I'm here and I'm looking up to the sky a second, okay, well, obviously he's still trying to pull something out of that tiny little brain of his. I'll give him a moment. But, uh, but I think that the reason we step over each other, and I can say this because I saw it in myself, was, oh, I've got to say this thing or I'm going to forget. And so piece of paper or kind of mental piece of paper working on that muscle memory to like okay this is going in my filing cabinet if i want to say this in a minute and just allowing yourself to be there and be quiet and have that silence and let that person fully finish what they were going to say is a, an incredibly powerful tool but it takes work I mean, it's taken me a long long time to to get it and now i think finally i can like i don't even look at my question seats anymore you know i write all these bullet points down and then never even glance at them. So obviously there's been a progress, but simply allowing someone to finish what they were going to say without interrupting and getting rid of that. If I don't say it, I'm going to forget that we all do and step over each other. That is, I think, how you have these incredible conversations. And if you had, for example, the screen split and you had four politicians, but they did that, it would be a completely different conversation. And also, if you knew you weren't getting uninterrupted, now you'd have to say something that actually makes sense because everyone's listening. So, you know, there's a double win there. Absolutely. Travis, thoughts? The silence gives you time to formulate your words, you know? It gives you, it gives you time to actually think about what you're going to say and make sure that the words do have, you know, some weight. Um, my, my very first platoon leader, I remember thinking to myself, when it, it seemed like whenever he encountered a dilemma, there was a noticeable borderline uncomfortable pause before he started to to direct traffic, you know? And I remember as a young troopie, I was kind of like, what the hell is he doing? You know, like do something, you know, like you're, you're in a hurry because you're young and at least I was young and foolish and I'm like, do something, like something is better than nothing, like, you know, but he was smarter than me and he's figuring out what he's going to do. And he's taking that time to make sure that his, uh, that his words are the right words and then that people can understand them and that the, that the, the proper actions take place as a result of those words, you know, so give yourself time to think about what you're going to say, you know, again, we're so, I think social media kind of conditions the populace to, uh, to speak quickly and not really think about what they say. And uh, that's a problem. So take a take a pause and, and think about it. Interesting, Sean. Any yeah, that's a that's a great example. That uh, until you told that story, I hadn't really considered how to put this point across. But now is a perfect opportunity because uh, that that leader, that wise leader, who was taking that momentary pause to consider what the the next right move was. He was doing the right thing, whereas you hadn't maybe been in the game quite long enough to understand what was going on. But what was interesting in that moment is your response. You were target locked on him with the thought of what's 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 next? What what what's going to happen? What, what? 
now he's got your attention. And I think that's communication as well. Even in conversations like this, if I pause for a moment, someone out there is considering, why is he pausing? What, what, what's, what's going on? What's next? What is important? What is, what is going to be said? And so um, strategically or tactically, I think within speech or within communication styles or within choosing correct words, there's, there's just levels to the game. And I'm like at the level three and there's another million levels above me. And if I can get up to level 10 by the end of, I don't know, this decade, well, um, my speech, my tonality, my intonation, my ability to communicate will be improved simply by pausing and thinking about how to better communicate in the moment. And people who are paying attention, well, now they're wondering, what, 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 what's next? Why is this important? And it's a great way to have others think, what is going on? Once they understand what is going on, maybe 10, 20, 100 repetitions later of seeing that same moment, just like yourself, you can now understand that there is importance in pausing. And what it does do is put some eyeballs on you in that moment that you're pausing. And unless you're a confident speaker or you're, you're in his case, a confident leader or a skilled leader, uh, he would have been uncomfortable pausing if he didn't understand that it was necessary for him to do that in order to deliver the best uh, to the team at that time. If he was just pausing and panicking, that's an entirely different thing. But a, a, for lack of a better term, a tactical pause within your communication style, even if it's only for two or three seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds, whatever, it doesn't matter. A tactical pause gives you time and gives the demographic in front of you time to kind of really tune in, get on the edge of the seats. James, any additional thoughts on that? I just can see many examples of, uh, I had a leader in the fire service in Anaheim, Terry, and uh, it was funny because he had this big bushy mustache like the chef from uh, The Muppet Show. <laughs> but his, his, his mustache would literally go up what he was thinking and you just wait and just like you're saying you'd all be there and bait your breath and then he'd be like okay get on the roof go cut a hole and then off you go but it was it was very much that that pause and he was the kind of guy that didn't go moth to the flame i remember one big fire we had a massive pallet farm i don't know why they call it farms they don't grow them but anyway um you know like 30 feet of pallets on fire there was a mulch pile next to it that was on fire fire engines were melting it was an absolute nightmare and he just looked at the scene and so get back in and we all drove to the back of this fire, cut a fence, rescued a couple of firefighters and then spent the rest of the night putting out this massive campfire. But it was just his ability to take a step back and it was that pause. And in the meantime, just like you said, us young firefighters were just waiting, you know, and just like, OK, we understand as a leader, this is how he is. So stand by, get in that kind of amber zone. And then when he says go, then off we go. So yeah, just to underline that point. Travis, any uh, additional thoughts there? Like being a, uh, you know, through my career, like starting off as that young troop and listening to the PL and like being intent, you know, fast forward 20 years to where now you're, you know, any assault force and uh, you're some guy back in the talk is totally, totally clogging up the radio waves, trying to find out what's going on. And you're like, stand by, stand by. And you're letting you're letting the situation develop a little bit. So there is like some valuable information to actually pass across the net rather than just talking and accomplishing nothing. So, you know, that that pause and allowing yourself to think about what's happening, to let the situation itself develop some and uh, and to uh, formulate your words properly and uh, accomplish what you want to accomplish, you know, and uh Selecting those words based on that end is uh, important. So that that I guess tactical pause is a very good uh, very good name for that pause. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I I'm getting this kind of picture built in my head as you guys are talking, and I'm thinking it's like you know worth is a great word for it in terms of there's a there's a value placed upon these things. So the uh, I'm thinking in terms of money, like if you don't have a lot of money, you, you're going to spend that carefully. You're going to utilize it well. 
to to some degree. Some people do, some people don't. But I think if you want to, but if you have tons of money and you don't know what to do with it, and you just start splaying it out all over the place, it has no value to you. It has no worth in terms of like intrinsic worth. And so it, I'm just thinking it the uh, that a word's worth really is only as much as you're willing to put into it. I was thinking the same thing. I I was going to, I almost threw the word out a few minutes ago. The word to me is promise. I might've said this to James. I'm not sure uh, some time ago, but, uh, my promises are like they're rare jewels. I use them so rarely to me. A promise is, is a blood pact in a sense. If I say, I promise that's going to happen. Put your life on it. And that's why I rarely ever make promises to myself or to anyone else. If I'm saying promise, it's got worth. Now, conversely to that, if someone's promising a lot of things on a regular basis and not delivering against all of those promises, now that word doesn't have worth for them or to anyone else. And so if I'm standing next to someone who's making that same promise and that MO or that standard issue pattern is what it is and mine is what it is, my promise now has far more worth than that promise. And then it becomes that case of the boy who cried wolf or the boy who cried word. And uh, so I think it comes down to words have power for sure based on who's giving those words out based on their track record of their words, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. James, you got some thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think now we've kind of found our way to the kind of urban dictionary sense of the word word, which is, you know, when I say it, I'm going to do it. And I think it's it's really hard. I think the, the hardest place to keep your word is as a parent, especially when you're still in uniform. You know, when you, yeah, I promise that we'll do this thing. And then you get to, you know, as a firefighter, 7.30 a.m. and the phone rings and like, yeah, you, we're short staffed. You need to stay another 24 hours. Well, you just broke your word to your, your child. So I think in these professions, you know, your word is your bond. Like, you know, if your firefighter friend goes down, it's an unspoken word that I'm going to go in there and try and pull you out. And when I'm training, I'm getting myself to the point where whatever kind of maximum capacity this little body of mine has that I'm going to be able to drag your ass out and vice versa. So I think the word in our professions is a very, very powerful thing. I think it what what makes it so maddening when you see a word um, not followed through so often, whether it's, you know, maybe in the admin side of your profession, maybe it's outside, certainly in politics, when you know, come hell or high water, you would literally lay down your life for the person that you're going in to help, or the, the man or woman to the left or right of you. And then you go into the civilian world. And even the most basal thing, like, you know, a, a company saying, we'll do this then. And then you just get messed around. You're like, if this was in my profession, your word, you know, if I didn't keep my word, people would die. And yet you use it so superfluously and it has zero value to you. So I think, I don't know if I'm, if this is something you agree with, but to me, when you hold your, your word so strongly and you really mean it, and even if you, with that child, you're like, I didn't like my absolute, you know, laser focus now is to do that thing that I promised you on a different day. We will do it. It'll just be a different day now, but I promise you we will go. And you are using that word promise. I think that being so far from words, promises that are used by other people in other situations is probably why a lot of us get so perturbed and angry because you truly understand the depth that a word means in a profession where lives are truly at stake. Travis, you got any thoughts on that? Okay. I'd like, yeah, just elaborate on that exact thing. Like, I think coming from uh, kind of the professions that we have come from, you know, our backgrounds, either in military, first response, something like that, you know, there's there's kind of a certain cluster of words that these these professionals, uh, they, they truly, truly have meaning, you know, like truth. What is the truth? The absolute truth, you know, we hold that dear, um, you know, if, 
if someone were to call one of us a liar, that would be, I mean, those are fighting words, man. You know, whereas in the civilian population, like, ah, you're a liar, you know, it's no big deal. Like to, to me, I mean, if you call me a liar, we're, we're going to have words, bro. We're going to exchange words at a minimum, you know, so those, those things, uh, you know, time, you know, time is very important to me, you know, and if you give me a time that we're going to link up and you're not there, I'm immediately, I'm thinking what something must be wrong. You know, you told me you're going to be here at this time and you're not like, are you okay? You know, was there an emergency? Did you crash? Oh no, dude. I was just, you know, running a little late. Like, no, I don't know. I don't understand. You know, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, like those, like, so in these professions, we, we, there's some words that we really, really, uh, you know, I don't know. We really hold on to them, I guess, you know, their meaning is just decisive and we don't let go of that. And then, uh, and like you said, in professions where maybe life is not really, you know, in jeopardy, it's like, it's not big, not a big deal, you know, and there's, there's a little bit of an adjustment period that goes along with that, you know? If, uh, like I've said before, I'm sitting in college, and if I see a student walk into class five minutes late and it's no big deal, it just, like, I'm, my mind is blown. And the professor doesn't even say anything. I'm just like, what is going on? You know, I, I don't understand. Because you know, I've been raised up where those words mean stuff, you know? Yeah, 100%. Sean? Yeah, uh, I 100% agree. And the reason that I find it uh, infuriating, because I think the exact same way. Now, the only way to correct that, or at least in my world, I can't correct the world, but in my world, if someone interacts with me and uh, infers that I'm a liar, or maybe more correctly, comes real close to calling me a liar, and this happened just a couple of years ago, I just looked that person square in the eyes and I said, did you just call me a liar? Are you calling me a liar right now? And you've never seen anyone backtrack so fast because people aren't used to being held accountable. They don't know the worth of a word that they casually throw around, whereas the word that they're throwing casually at me, I full well know the meaning of the word. And them's fighting words, just as you said, buddy. So I think it comes down to people's maybe background or experience or how they've been raised for sure. But I also think it comes down to they just ain't being held accountable often enough in the moment. And so I do believe it's our job not to give out all those hallway passes when someone says, dude, you're a freaking liar. What? There's no hallway pass in that moment. Time to correct the record, as it were. That brings up an interesting thought here. And I have this comment that it plays into it. Tom jumps in and he says, uh, when using words, ensure that you're imparting wisdom rather than trying to convince others of your opinion. I think it's really interesting. And he carries on. He says, Epictetus tells, tells us, keep, si keep silence for the most part and speak only when you must. And then briefly. I think it goes into it in terms of you have to put thought into what you're talking about. And as we've been going, been hearing these words, you know, liar, timings, accountable, valor, current, honor. These things mean stuff to us, right? They, are they have intrinsic value. I don't need to tell you what honor means you all know, and I know you know, and you know I know, like these things are just um, ubiquitous. And so being that this week we're talking about hope, what I want to know from you guys is, what does hope mean to you guys? Because I think this is, a, this is what is it worth out there to you? James, what do you think? Hope is my jam. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one thing that we don't get it really isn't and then you think about this i was having a conversation with with a guest earlier and he talked about a teacher who told him he'd never amount to nothing and in that particular occasion it was fuel for him and i think i would argue probably people sitting in this particular conversation it would be it would be like that fu attitude you know i don't care what you say i'll show you kind of thing but that the conversation was, well, how many kids had he disarmed? How many kids had he taken the wind out of the sail because of, of that? And then you look at today, you know, the, the conversation that I was so lucky to have, like from my mom, for example, was truly that you can be anything. And my grades show I couldn't be anything at that moment, but at least the, the dream was put in my head. But I don't think we see hope much anymore. 
we don't have people standing in you know whatever whether it's you know your actual profession whether it's you know a county or a country inspiring people saying we can be better i mean just to pick on for example america's obesity crisis at the moment where is the conversations about you can get back to who you want to be you can be slim you can be in a marble you can play with your kids we can get you through this mental health crisis that you're going through we can get you off fentanyl there's none of that there's no hope out there yet people will go into um whatever place of worship they choose and those those books actually give hope and then they close them and they walk out and then they they go through the social media you know doom and gloom thing again so I think if a hope is the most powerful word and it's worth is, you know, everything. And you look at some of these incredible, you know, men and women, and we talked about losing legs in, in, in uh, the military, for example. Look at Rob Jones and Mark Omrod and some of these incredible human beings that just believed and they are beacons of hope. Like you're just going through long COVID and you're still suffering look at these people and use that as hope but i think the the issue i see is it's all negativity it's all doom and gloom the russians and the chinese are going to come and invade us and we're all going to be speaking and that's it the end of the story what we need is hope we need people to inspire us we need people to pull us together because hope you know th there is hope like we're not in the middle of you know mogadishu right now in 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 the 90s we're not in the middle of syria at the moment we're in the U.S., so we have so many resources. All we need is hope. All we need is people to be inspired and believe that they can be so many more things than they are. And those are the voices I think we need to hear. It is the voices of hope because that is one of the most powerful tools. And we talked about how do you connect you know, words with someone's actions. I think it's hope, but they have to believe it. And I think the power of story is really what infuses hope into a lot of people. Oh, preach it, buddy. Preach it. Yeah, bam. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Travis, you got any uh, thoughts? Yeah, I think obviously hope is super important, but I think I think hope is maybe the second domino, right? It's the second thing to have to take place is first you have to see or recognize whatever it is that you may want or desire. And then that's when hope manifests, right? I want that. I want to be like that guy, I want to be the champion. I want to be free. I want to. I want to not listen to this guy. Whatever it is, but hope is that second domino, and then the long line of dominoes after hope that take place. You know, hope, and then motivation, drive, like all of those buzzwords are of, uh, you know, the motivational process are are what falls into place next. You know, um, I think getting onto the topic of like what you see now with like. Uh, the obesity epidemic and like so many other things that are that are you know wrong with with uh the society today it just has to do for me it has to do with culture you know the culture is kind of off base and uh we choose our culture choose to deify you know entertainers and athletes and uh people who who you know, they have their own contribution to society, but I wouldn't say that they contribute the same thing that a police officer does or a firefighter does or a farmer does or a plumber or electrician or a guy that builds roads or any of those things that that have to take place for society to progress and just to exist. We don't deify those things at all. They're just kind of almost an after. an afterthought just like that yeah sean <laughs> well i he was on a roll there and i was he just was. like nodding my head thinking mm -hmm. how how much more can i agree with this what what's more than a hundred percent uh i think that uh, there is a wild difference between entertainers and helpers so if you're if you're an entertainer you ain't a plumber a plumber's out there helping people a a fireman's out there helping people. They're not entertaining people. And so uh, I don't want to say too much more about the difference between helping humanity and entertaining humanity, because uh, it's a whole other hour-long conversation probably, but I fully agree with what was just said. I think for me, uh, hope, and though we did talk about it yesterday, what comes to mind is based on what James was saying, uh, just as his mom maybe told him, like, I didn't have much hope when I was a kid. And, and there's a variety of reasons for that. I'm not saying I was hopeless. I'm just saying that I just didn't see the hope in the world. I didn't see hope in front of me. 
Uh, I was a skinny underperforming kid in high school and I didn't know what I could do or what challenges I could overcome until the army, the army taught me how to get hope. The army put the challenges in front of me that I needed in order to learn more about myself and to become a better person in order to become a more capable person in order to have words to be able to speak that had a little bit of power in them. So the army taught me how to understand hope, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, uh, <clears throat> I want to touch on something that uh, James said kind of at the beginning. I'm not sure if we, it was right at the beginning or if it was still in the green room, but <clears throat> you were talking about how uh, 912 was the, the, you know, the most American America you, you can see kind of deal. And I, I've seen that verbiage a few times, but it seems to me that, you know, that was the most hopeful kind of point in that I've seen the U S at least as well as Canada. I mean, we're so tied to the hip in terms of culturally speaking that when after nine 11 happened and that next day where everybody was just like, what do you need? How can I help? Where, where can we dive in? How can we, how do we, how do we get involved? How do we, what can we do? And it, so it seems to me that, that hope in and of itself is actually built through the other people like, seeing other people help through other actions. That's my thought on it. But uh, what do you guys think? Is that, am I on base there? Or am I out of the way? Travis, what do you think? The greatest thing about September 12th was that every single American and every Westerner really stopped thinking about what makes us different and recognized what makes us all the same, right? We all became one giant tribe that moment right? Uh, the day prior, you know, like, you know, right now, everybody sees themselves as, you know, different sex, different race, different religion, different uh, political, you know, ideology, like whatever it is, they're all different, right? I'm different. I'm not the same as him. I'm not the same as that. But in that moment, when, when, when things got real, you know, when it was, it was a decisive moment in time where everybody recognized that, like, oh, we're all the same tribe. We're all together in this and we need to give way together in order to come out victorious, you know? So, you know, that just, it just made everybody unite, you know, and by, by, by recognizing what makes us the same, that's when you really, you really see the power of, of, you know, the United States of Canada, of any country, you know, like division is not what makes us strong. You know, diversity is not what makes us strong. It gives us a good menu. And the child's good, but unity is what makes us strong. You know, being unified despite of our, our diverse background is what makes us strong. Mm -hmm. James? I had a, I wish I could remember who it was, but I had a guest give an analogy a few months ago, and they said, imagine you're in medieval England and you're looking over the walls with your, you know, lord or lady, and you're chuckling because all the villagers are fighting amongst themselves. He goes, where are they not looking? The castle. And it was such a perfect way of describing how we are now. One of the most clear things over the last, you know, I mean, six, eight years, so that spans both sides of the aisle, is if you, if you consider someone who's a leader, that's someone who unites, especially when there's a crisis going on. And yet the last six plus years in, in the state, six or seven years, has been nothing but division. So this is the problem is we haven't had leadership. We have had that divide and conquer element. And what 9-12-2001 showed me, and it was the same if you look at the footage from the Grenfell fire in London, churches, synagogues, temples, you name it, everyone came together. Everyone was a New Yorker. And we've allowed ourselves to go back to, you know, like you know, all, the, all the pigeonholes, all the labels. And I think that, you know, leadership begins at home and then in your community. And it's not just looking at some, you know, building in, in you know, D.C. or London or whatever and thinking, All right, you fix everything. But it showed the true America, you know, after the London bombings, it showed the true spirit of the, the British and, and the Londoners. And that the sad thing is that that is so quickly lost. And if you look at a few years later, you know, the, the FDNY firefighters and, and uh, NYPD, they're all dying from 9-11 illnesses. And now, 
they're fighting to even give them any sort of kind of financial benefits that was lost you know it was it was wasn't too long that it was forgotten again and things started slipping backwards so the power of the word for example is that you'll take care of the people that stepped up when you needed them whether they were holding the line during the covid crisis whether they showed up to the grenfell fire and then another perfect example it was only a few weeks later that the media was saying that it was the firefighters fault in london and the same people that were rescued all those those families from that tower building were now lauded as you know uh at fault when actually it was the cladding on the tower that caused everything to be on fire and that was a business and they and they weren't so i think refinding that community you shouldn't have to wait for a national disaster or a tragedy or a terrorist attack to pull yourself back together again but if we're having something to the magnitude that 9-11 was and then 22 short years later we've completely forgotten the message then i think that spits in the face of every single person that was killed in 9-11 because if one thing we can do after that horrendous day is make our country better and that involves us all being part of the solution and coming together and if someone stands in a political building and deliberately divides a nation then we need to change the way that we select those people because you want to destroy a country then you just divide and conquer it's that simple Mm. well the irony of today as we speak about uh, the worth of words is it just seems to be that more and more frequently the messaging out there in respect to national messages is the inability for politicians to even form a coherent sentence nowadays it the words that are being put out are not as well put out as what i'm hearing from the panel right now they're either sound bites or they're canned pieces that are sometimes read word for word not very well or sometimes it's just like incoherent babble from some that are just babbling over top of each other so it's pretty easy to understand why there's divisiveness right now i mean just remove all of the divisive issues let's not even talk about them let's just talk about the talk about the divisiveness that's just so divisive right now that we don't have to identify new divisive issues the way that things are being communicated at a national, in, at an international level, is appalling, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah this is, uh, and this gets into a whole other conversation, which we will carry on tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely, I think that's a great place to shut her down for the day. So let's get some final thoughts and go from there. What are your final thoughts, Travis? A word's worth. <laughs> I thought we were about to go political, so I was super excited. But, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> not on this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm all in. You can count me in for that conversation. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, getting back to the start, you know, the power of words. Uh, they, they, they have all the power to start things and all the power to end things. You know, it could just—it's just one word. You know, it, it could mean everything. It could mean nothing. It's you know, the, it comes back to the authenticity of those words and the, uh, and the authenticity of the, of the person delivering them. I think that really matters. Um, you know, but without them, it'd be really hard to, hard for us all to communicate. I mean, the podcast wouldn't be so good without words. Very true. <laughs> yeah, we'd just be miming our way through. <laughs> James, some final thoughts? You've actually just to, to add on to what Travis said, here is one of the saddest things, I think, when we're talking about words. Now you talk about the health of the nation, you talk about mental health, you talk about unity. Oh, well, that's politics. The word politics is basically saying you can't talk about that. And I disagree completely. So not, not diving into that whole thing, but this is where we also need to be careful is health is not politics you know community is not politics mental health is not politics Um, making our schools safer is not politics these are things that actually are beneficial to the men women and children of our country so i would say with your words make sure that some words aren't censoring words Mm -hmm. sean final thoughts hard to conclude anything beyond what has just been said other than do your best to choose your words carefully with the audience that you're speaking to, the person who's directly in front of you, what you're trying to say to them, not just with your words, but with your vibe, with your intention, with 
the way you hold your space. Before you say a word, try to be saying words. Yeah, these are uh, some absolutely outstanding points. Thank you guys so much for the conversation. First off, Travis and James, it's always good to have you on here. And you guys, like I said many times, open seat any day you want. Welcome back for a convo. Uh, maybe not on politics, but we'll see what happens later on in the future. <laughs> I do really appreciate it. Bitter, uh, really, really interesting show, and I really appreciate the, the ability not only of your words to stimulate thought, it allows people to engage their own thought pattern. And once they do that, then that means they're learning. And if they're learning, they're building. And if they're building, that means they're growing. And you can do that with us every day here on The Collective. See you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo.